You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Greg Sayers is an Auckland councillor and an experienced businessman. He's an independent candidate who was re-elected as the Rodney councillor on the Auckland Council. He convincingly unseated the sitting incumbent the year he stood for election by an unprecedented margin of the votes. He's here to discuss some of his frustrations at the council a year on from his re-election. He joins me now. Greg Sayers, welcome to The Crunch. Yeah, thanks, Cam. Great to be here and appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I thought I'd make this program a little bit about, you know, the past year or so. You've been re-elected as the councillor in Rodney. There's some challenges that Auckland Council is having. And some of those issues were, of course, brought to the fore with the cyclone and the rainfall and everything at the beginning of the year, particularly around rural communities and rural roads. I earlier talked to Ken Turner, who explained some of the issues that he's been facing. And I thought I'd give you a call and uh, and have a chat with you about how you think the last year has gone and some of the issues that Auckland Council faces in particular in your area. Oh, thanks. Thanks for that, Cam. I'm glad you had a chat to Ken Turner. He's he's doing a great job as a councillor for his, his ward as well. Yeah, I guess really what you're touching on there is around the increased costs and unexpected uh, bills that are now coming into the council to recover from those storms. But uh, kind of in the big picture, Cam, the council just still isn't light. This might be out there trying to do all this work and fix everything, but the public just doesn't have that level of trust in the Auckland Council. Yeah, and it's something that raises its head. You know, on my show a couple of weeks ago, I asked what people thought about Wayne Brown. They seem to like him. They're just frustrated with the inability to seem to be able to pass some sensible things. You know, the borrowings of the council are sky high, uh, yet there seems to be a reluctance on the part of many councillors to address the rampant spending and out-of-control projects that are running that are just sucking up resources when we can't even get the basics like you know, water reticulation, rubbish collection, particularly in Rodney, rubbish collection is a real issue. Mm. And, you know, in um, fixing potholes and, and slumped roads and all the damage that's come from years of poor maintenance or lack of maintenance. Yeah, that's all true. It's certainly a different beast than the private sector. Uh, you know, with my experience in the private sector, if you asked your CE to find 10% savings so you could drive them into you know, other programs, it would happen It would happen overnight, camels, they've lost their job. And I think what the Mayor's discovering is the complexity of, of Auckland Council and its rules and its regulations and probably uh, the difficulty of you know, having to bring along with your 20 other councillors, so you've got 11 and vote majority when you actually want to get things done that you want to get done. So, uh, uh, you know, I think he's finding it hard. You know, we have councillors that are uh, defend heavily the labour force and people not to lose their jobs, where, you know, actually what's required probably is some deep axe wielding and uh, some cuts into the organisation. And those, when I say cuts, Cam, I don't mean they have to be straight costs, they can be productivity. So why is that middle management so bloated inside of there and why can't more decision making be pressed down into the organization? And when you know if you press decision making down to organization, you don't need so many supervisors that you have to go back up to, right? And mm. I'd also I'd also the other other interesting dynamic I guess with the council is you have Auckland Transport as a delivery arm and then they have contractors underneath them as delivery services providers, you know, the downers yep. 
voters yep. of the world. Now, they're probably doing a good job, but uh, they're only doing what they get told to do by those staff. So there needs to be a significant, in my mind, cultural organisation performance transformation of Auckland Council uh, to lift its productivity and find those savings that are in there. Fortunately, I'd say under the Wayne Brown administration, at least we've got somebody who's prepared to shake the tree and try and make that happen to the best of his ability. And he is working very hard at it compared to the other mayors that we have had. Yeah. Well, let's just touch on Auckland Transport for a little bit. You know, I drive around Auckland and there seems to be this proliferation of these raised pedestrian crossings, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that create massive jutter bars. You can't see them properly at night. Um, who asked for them, right? Exactly. <laughs> who asked for these? Who said that we needed this? I mean, what are the statistics to show that a raised pedestrian crossing is safer? Or what's the rationale? Because I would imagine that each one of those raised pedestrian crossings costs in the vicinity of something like $250,000. They do, Cam. Yeah. It, it, like, honestly, like, who asked for them? Who, who asked for you look, it's not, I'm not surprised you asked that type of question because it's not just you that would be making those comments. There's Aucklanders at large that are making that comment all the time. In fact, you know, they find it bewildering what's going on there. And, you know, it's really ideological whims of Auckland transport engineers. So the tail's wagging the dog there. And again, I'd have to say that Wayne's onto it. Wayne Brown, the, the mayor, he, he wants legislative change so the councillors can get in control of that beast, Auckland transport and you know, have the orders going the other way around rather than mm. the company getting. See, this is the thing. There's, there's all these initiatives. I mean, you know, again, I live in Takapuna. Suddenly, all of a sudden, it's 30 kilometres an hour with yeah. big red paintings on the road at exorbitant cost, yeah. let alone the use of the trucks and the road cones and everything else to do it. Yeah, narrowing the road for a Narrowing the road, yeah. um, you know, yeah. turning areas into pedestrianised areas. I mean, shopping yeah. is bad enough with getting near these places, and now they're just like choking it off and wondering why all these businesses are going out of business. Again, who asked for 30 kilometres an hour well, around these, in, these little towns or 60 kilometres an hour in rural roads? Uh, it's an interesting story here that I'm happy to share. I, uh, I rang one of the major developers that were doing a development in, in my ward, the Rodney Ward North, and Ask them, why on earth are you making those roads so narrow? You know, you've got one person parked on one side, one on the other, and you can't get a fire engine through there, let alone a, if you want to run a bus service. They said, look, Greg, we agree with you. We're, our initial plans were to have decent roads in there, but we were told by Auckland Transport to narrow them for traffic calming measures. So they're even getting directed by that organisation, Cam. It's really just that it takes away from the whole place shaping of those new uh you, uh, surely, the, yeah, surely the directive of Auckland Transport should be to make transport around the city easier, not more difficult. Well, you can see what's happening there, mate. Yeah. The the ideology, as I mentioned before, has probably taken over from reality. Isn't that the problem, though, that we've that got, the got these sort of highfalutin ideas being promulgated by the civil servants and no one's actually de dealing with reality and how we actually yeah. need to get around our city? Yeah, it's a real tough one to get over. Just the whole setup of the Super City Cam was that the whole idea was to have those CCOs at arm length from the politicians. In other words, as your listeners probably know, there's a chief executive between us and the operations of Auckland Transport, then the board of directors in between that as well. So that needs to change. And 
what we would like to see, or majority of us councillors would like to see, is that more control come directly under those elected members because we represent the voice of our ratepayers. We know what they're saying about it, and we just would like to see that all turned around and the, the directions coming from the ratepayers and the people that pay the bills rather than some sort of ideology. Yeah. So tell me about Rodney and what are the issues that you're getting on a day-to-day basis as the councillor in Rodney? Well, I was impressed how in touch you seem to be with them, actually, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So look, well, I lived yeah. in Rodney for a while, so right. I, I kind right. of know that. Yeah, good one. Yeah, look, it's, uh, uh, Rodney makes up half of the land mass of the super city. It's a huge ward. It has one councillor, uh, one local board. Um, it's undergoing growth. For people who drive north now have seen that we'll be driving on a motorway that's opened up all that area up there. So Walkworth's just expanding rapidly. There's growth nodes like uh, Millwater, Milldale uh, happening. Uh, there's significant growth uh, just in the rural areas with the ability to people to subdivide their land as the right through the unitary plan. So there's an awful lot of people wanting to go and live live in that area. And with that comes traffic. And historically, those roads, if you've driven them, if you get off the main state highways and arterials, they're unsealed, Cam. So uh, years of underinvestment, you've got property owners there that are living on unsealed, and by that, I mean gravel roads. Yeah. And uh, they pothole and in the winter and the, the dust nuisance in the summer. The, the good news is there that fortunately under this term, and I have to take uh, my hat off to, to Wayne, that he listened to those. He came up for the day. Yeah, listened to every ratepayer group that I could get in front of him. After seven hours, he'd he asked if he'd met everybody in Rodney because they all, all, all talk, spoke to him very politely, but got across the message that, um, you know, those basic infrastructures that our urban cousins take for granted, like having your roads sealed and having traffic lights on a footpath, they don't exist in, in the Rodney Ward and it's overdue and they should have been there. Yeah. So, so finally, they're starting to get some funding thanks to, to the help of the Mayor. We've gone from, so on those unsealed Roads, the maintenance budgets have just this year, when every other budget in Auckland Council was being reviewed and cut, their maintenance budgets got doubled, which meant that instead of having two grading crews, because you have to grade those roads. Yeah, I mean, it's quite difficult, isn't it, with rural roads, because getting rid of water off the surface of the road is most important. Now, with the tar seal road, obviously, you've got an impervious layer there that, you know, there's still a crown in the road, but it's not as important, the crown, in terms of the size uh, as it is for gravel roads or dirt roads, as well as making sure your culverts are clean and all of those to make sure water is being taken away, because it's water that destroys the roads rather than anything else, isn't it? Yeah, that's the secret. The secret's keeping those water tables under control. So with now, what I was just going to say there, Cam, is they had two grading crews out there trying to do the whole... As I said, it's half the size of the of the you know, whole of Auckland. Yeah. So now they've got five with one. So they've got their own areas that they look after. There's another crew that will go out. So if you get a customer complaint, they can whip out there and do it. So that was effective first of July. So I'm very pleased that those ratepayers in Rodney and residents will start to see you know dramatic improvement in in the maintenance of those roads and. The key to that is the creator drivers in terms of their ability to be able to, as you say, shape Absolutely, the road yeah. in the right way. On top of that, ideally you'd have those roads sealed. There's some roads out there that are overdue for sealing for years and just hasn't happened under the super city, as I mentioned, you know, anywhere else it, it would have. 
Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's like the roads around Wainui and that, aren't they? I mean, it's there's a lot of traffic around those, and there's a whole lot of dirt roads there that really should yeah. be sealed. And some of the ones that you know that are coming off, um, you know, the state highway out Kaukopakopa Way and around yeah. there. Again, there's a lot of infill housing going in. Yeah, dirt sure. roads are really unsustainable. No, yeah. The, the other thing is with the storm, even though the storm brought. You know, as you know, Mirai and what was in, in my area, and they got hit really hard by the other areas, mm. right at Puhoi and, and Dairy Flat. That storm has highlighted to Auckland Council the need to, because it's all interrelated to what you just talked about. If those rivers aren't flowing, Cam, the water's got nowhere to go uh, off the road. So everything floods and it's just a disaster. So if we can get those rivers and streams cleared out, which is happening. That helps everybody, not only in terms of those roads staying dry, but also people stopping people's properties uh, from flooding. Yeah, oh, exactly. What sort of frustrations are you experiencing being a councillor and trying to get attention to some of these issues that your ratepayers are screaming for? Well, you know, it really is the big league and we're playing hardball. You know, we're, we're New Zealand's biggest council. We've got a asset base of $55 billion and a revenue of 6.6. So you've got to take that seriously. And if you can't live within your means, in other words, if you can't make that $6.7 billion revenue uh, stretch and you need to go into further debt, that's not you're not running a successful organisation. Uh, that's not sustainable. And since I'd, I'd go so far as to say since the start of the super city, in 10 years that our debt's gone, you know, it's sitting at $13 billion. Well, $12 billion of that was in the last 10 years. And it's it's, like, it's eye-wateringly expensive too for servicing. Well, it's over every day. It's like a lotto ticket. It's about $1.5 million a day just to pay the interest on all that. Of course, when you've got a growing city, you've got to have the infrastructure in there, but you've got to be able to pay for it. So what is the core business of Auckland Council? Auckland Council has not defined that since the start of the super city. Mm. I'm frustrated that that debate hasn't occurred to say, well, what is core business? Basically, when when all those councils got amalgamated, just all the services got brought across and they continued to be funded. So uh, which ones should we still be funding and which uh, which ones shouldn't we be funding? And with that, you'll find uh, some cost savings as well. There seems to be this abiding belief within government, local and central government, that all spending is good spending and all debt is good debt until it's not, with no recognition that the way that the council services its debt is to basically rape the pockets of the ratepayers. And they won't take measures to address that. So, you know, you hear all these councillors who say, oh, no, it's terrible, we're selling assets and we'll be losing the income from those assets. But the reality is, is the income from those assets is marginal at best because of the debt servicing. And the income that you get from those assets is actually just paying debt. Mm. Now, some debt is good, right? Good If you are spending money on infrastructure that's going to last 50, 60, 70 years, that's the sort of thing you want to fund with debt not these nice-to-have Womble projects that seem to proliferate. I mean, I was talking to a councillor down south, you know, in, in the South Island, and they were saying that the, their council funds something like 35 national days, you know, like, I don't know, Pacifica 
national holidays and you know all Eid and all of these sorts of holidays that everyone's coming to council with these demands for money and that's all being funded by these huge amounts of debt and clearly in Auckland it's the same where you've got Diwali and all of these things funded by the council but essentially it's being paid not for by the ratepayers but by debt mm. that's the sort of stuff you actually shouldn't be spending debt on or incurring debt to cover I get quite surprised why some of my colleagues who who uh, think that debt is just the way that you run a council and I don't disagree with the idea that you've got to have debt and if you do take on debt, that should be paid off across generations that get to use in the future. That's fine. But you also just can't keep taking on debt. You know, you've got to be able to pay down your debt. Well, we haven't paid any down. We're paying interests only. So as I mentioned, the numbers are the uh, eye-watering. That just You can't continue about that. You know, the, the promise of the super city was less staff and more services, but we've actually still got just the opposite, haven't we? We've got more staff and less services. Well, that's the thing we were promised. You know, we've seen this time and time again. Politicians say, we're going to do this. There's going to be these amazing savings. There'll be less staff. And what we get is actually more staff, no savings, increased rates, and things are no better off. Yeah, it, well, and I we keep to, falling for it. I know. I, look, uh, I'm sure that, you know, Wayne, I hope you get to have a chance to talk to Wayne on your show, but, you know, he must be under pressure. He's facing barriers every which way he goes. It would probably be very helpful for the community put some pressure on their councillors to support the mayor and some of the things that he's trying to rectify, including what you've just spoken about, Cam. At least we've got a mayor that's set a bit of a vision there. You know, he talks about his priorities there about fixing infrastructure and stopping wasting and taking control about from the CCOs, et cetera, et cetera. He's even done a manifesto to the new government. But as I mentioned at the start of the show, if, uh, if he doesn't get the political support to be able to implement those and get on with it, then it's a bit of a lonely road, not only for him, but for other councillors and probably Aucklanders at large who voted him in to fix Auckland. Well, I mean, that's the thing. They did vote him in to fix Auckland. The Voters in South Auckland stayed away. Uh, the successive Labour-led governments, even though they were Labour and drag, they always hid their alliances, was rejected soundly at the last local body elections. And yet when it comes to actually making the hard decisions like paying down debt or having to sell assets, it seems, you know, Morris Williamson had the saying that everybody wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to yeah. die. He does, he does, he, he uses it. Morris is doing a good job in terms of holding the flame to the feet of the organisation as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, he's all, he also floated the idea of fewer local boards, which, uh, you know, probably isn't a bad idea either, cutting the local boards down from, you know, we've got 22 local boards out there, down to about 13. That's, you know, 50 less elected members and less support staff and less officers. That would probably be a good idea. As, you know, it's all about, you can do any of those things and they might save you some money, but if the democracy doesn't improve, and by that I mean if those elected people aren't prepared to listen to their ratepayers and act for the best interests of the community, you're not making any ground. And this trust levels of Aucklanders of the council and the, the elected representatives will stay low. So, you know, that whole idea of Abraham Lincoln's of, you know, government of the people, for the people, by the people, you know, that's, that's fundamental that as a deliverable uh, you know, by us as elected politicians back to our ratepayers. And I, I just hope that some of our elected members remember that. 
Yeah, I'm always reminded about the statement that Ronald Reagan made, you know, way back in the 80s. Famous statement, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. (laughs) Because isn't that the way when it seems that in society these days, whenever there's an itch to scratch or there's a particular ailment in the in the community, someone says, Oh, but why won't the council do something? And when they say do something, what they mean is pay money to someone to do something. Or get it for free is another one. Well, right. nothing's for free. There's no yeah. such thing as a free lunch. You know, you, you, you've been in business. If you offer your staff free lunches, it's free to the staff, but it's not free to the business. Well, I'll tell you what I did notice when I was in business, and that's just when, and I did this independently with a, a number of organizations as well, including the delivery arms of power companies, you know, they were service deliveries. If you decentralize your decision making, I'm not saying increasing the numbers, but I'm saying with the power and the ability for your staff and even your contractors, and I mentioned them a little bit earlier, to get on, do the job, and they've got the information uh, that the middle management have to make decisions. They can see the costs. They understand what's going on. These are quite educated people that work in, in Auckland Council. Mm. You know, and they just don't get a chance to, they have to leave their brain at the gate, I think, in, in many circumstances. I get them come up to me at the water fountain and when I'm having lunch or in the lift and they'll share with me the frustrations that they're having. So I'm, I guess I'm saying that devolution of power down to employees, and I'll go even further, even to the contractors uh, who probably only do what they get told to do at the moment because you know engineers want to keep control over them, uh, would be a terrific way of changing the customer service and probably the trust levels that Aucklanders could have in, in the organisation. Uh, you know that greater that idea of greater localism, where you allow local contractors and local community volunteers and groups to deliver the local projects, they'll do it more cost effectively and keep an eye on it as well into the future. So that just hasn't materialised yet. And I think that's uh, that's where we need to be heading. You touch on a key point there talking about contractors. Councils used to do a lot of the stuff themselves, mm. but now they've contracted it out. And mm. although technically the headcount of council should be smaller, in reality, it's actually bigger. I mean, we, we were promised that there would be savings in staff by the amalgamating the three cities into one. We've actually got more staff now by a considerable margin as a result. Arguably, we've got less services. We've got all these contractors that are out there. And, you know, I was just talking to Ken uh, earlier, and uh, I explained to him how, you know, we used to have a contract cleaning the cesspits, you know, on the side of the road. There'd be one guy in a truck. uh, We had flashing lights. We'd pull up beside the cesspit, open the grate, suck out all the guts of it, put the grate back and drive on to the next one. The other day I saw happening, you know, in Manukau, the same place we used to do it. There was actually five people employed to do that. Uh, There was now vehicles in front and behind the truck. I mean, you can't miss the truck. They're enormous. Mm. And they had all these safety people wandering around uh, and putting out cones and all sorts of nonsense like that. And in like in all the three or four years that we did the contract there, we never had a traffic incident by doing these cesspits. We never had any issues at all with anyone getting run over or anything like that. And it seems that the council uh, officers or within the council or someone is applying these 
health and safety regulations, which is leading to a proliferation of road cones, safety things, and as a consequence, massive expenditure and cost uh, exploding. So when it took one person to do it, now it takes five people plus all the gear. You can imagine the cost of that. Yeah, We're paying for that as ratepayers. And, yeah. and no one seems to have any of the wherewithal to say, well, hang on a minute. Well, well, I totally agree with you. Um, your points are dead right. And the, I think that health and safety legislation gets taken to the beyond the nth degree in terms of uh, you know risk minimization. Even the license costs, Cam, the user charges, compliance costs, consent costs, they've all skyrocketed. Yep. So not only are they costing more, but people are having to dip into their pockets far deeper just to you know, to pay for it. But you know, if I come back to the you know, the mayor's just one vote. Right, but he does set uh, the tone of the organisation. He sets the direction. He sets the vision. He's banging his fists on the table consistently. I can assure you to look at all those things. He's, it's just that it all happens at glacial speed. Would be his terms. Would be the words yeah. that he would use, uh, and that's extremely frustrating. You know, he's, you know, um, for example, uh, you know, we've read in the papers about his efforts with Auckland Transport and some of those things that you're talking about in the realm of the organisation, mm. that CTO. Uh, the the idea of getting the red cones removed, uh, what else was he working on there? The uh, or the transponders in the buses, the dynamic laning, making progress, but it's so slow. It's a lack of urgency that uh, I think that's what he's, uh, that's hit it, the, the, the barrier that he hits. Yeah, it, well, Just exactly. Got to keep pushing, got to keep pushing. Well, you, you've got to keep pushing and you need to, I think, also wield a big bat. You need to wield the big bat, but you also need the support of 11 councillors at least around the table. And without that, why would those CCOs need to take you seriously? But it's more than the support of 11 councillors, isn't it? Because a lot of these uh, decisions are made by committees. And it's not just the councillors that sit on the committee, it's the unelected independent Maori statutory board members that sit on those committees as well, who you've got to get support from. And what we've just seen, you know, in the last week is we've got Toe Henere, who's gone back to his old union roots and decided he's going to work to rule and exact Utu on the 11 councillors who voted to not have Maori wards at the next local body elections. You know, I mean, the disconnect from Tau Henere in the first place, I mean, he's being paid to be an independent Maori statutory board member, and he's saying we want more wards and more councillors to sit over the top of what he's already doing that's supposed to be on behalf of and giving voice to uh, Mana Whenua in Auckland City. And he's essentially holding a gun to everybody's head saying, I'm going to vote no against anything that you put up. And and you're on that list of the 11. So is Morris Williamson. So is Ken Turner. There's a few of you on that list. And he's saying, I'm going to vote no on anything that comes before the committee. And that may actually be the casting vote that makes sure that something that was promised to the ratepayers doesn't happen. That's right. So you're right. That's more than just the 11, isn't it? There's another couple you've got to get across the line in, in situations. Just where we're on that, Cam, the voting of the Maoris, as, as you've just indicated, um, I did vote against those. In my mind, look, there's three things. Look, if you want to be a councillor, you can do the hard yards and get elected. Yeah. Nothing stopping anybody doing that. Right. On top mm. of that, on top of that, it's actually a constitutional matter. 
and it should be going out to public referendum. I've said that from day one. You know, we, legislation got uh, brought in by Mahuta to try and, well, did stop that because people didn't want it, so she wanted to override that. But it should be going back to referendum. I hope the new government has formed looks at repealing that legislation so we can have a referendum on the, on the subject. That's great. Whatever that referendum says, Cam, I'm happy to vote in, in the way that the people say. And finally, if you're going to have Maori seats, you can't have an independent Maori statutory board and Maori seats. It's got to be one or the other. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you're absolutely right. This is a constitutional issue. It's also a legislative issue. I mean, the independent Maori statutory boards were created by statute. That's why they're called yeah. statutory, right? Yeah. So what they're wanting is to keep and retain the law that pertains to their cushy jobs that are unelected and appointed because of who you are or what your family name or heritage or whakapapa is, and also have some race-based seats. But, yeah. you know, I noticed that the people who did vote against it have got such a diverse background. You know, Mike Lee, a hard-bitten socialist, but a practical man, he voted against it. You know, John Watson and Wayne Walker, you know, your neighbouring, you know, ward pals, I guess. Wayne especially is a bit of a womble. You know, he's a nice guy. I've had lots of chats with him. Um, but, you know, he would have been one that I would have thought would have supported that. No, he voted against it. And then you look at Ken out, out west. Uh, there's a large Maori community out west, and he's reflecting what his constituents are saying to him and voted against it. But you're right. This is a constitutional issue. It should be put to the people. But but it seems that people like Tohenere and his, and his ilk don't like democracy. They just want to use intimidation, brown mail, and threats. And I don't think there's a place for that in Auckland Council. Uh, no, there isn't, Kim. Absolutely not. And everyone would agree with that. I'd say the majority of your listeners, certainly, anyway. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, democracy is such important, and we touched on that a little bit earlier. We're here to represent the voice and the the wishes and the wants of the people who put us in our jobs, right? Yeah. So I'm elected to do that. I expect if I don't do it, I shouldn't be re-elected. And I certainly, yeah. I certainly know that in terms of um, the direction that that my ward gave me, my constituents on on that particular subject. You know, I upheld their their wishes on that. But I, I guess the point I'd like to make is. It's, it's probably it's easy to get sucked in by that machine, that ivory tower, in there. And it's very important that you stay connected with your with your constituents and and listen to them. I think probably Winston Peters was a good example. If you do that, what what you can achieve, right? Yeah. yeah. So I know that there's a lot of good people in there trying to do good things by their uh, constituents, and I know that uh, the mayor is feels that he has a mandate to go in there and, and fix the council. He doesn't want rates to go up. He doesn't want to go debt to get to go up. But I'll tell you now, when that 10 year, the next annual budget or the, it's actually a 10 year budget comes up for voting early next year and Walkingers have their say on it, I'm extremely concerned that we'll end up with a vote that again increases the debt and puts the rates up. Above inflation. Hey, look, just while we're talking about referendums, mm. <laughs> just had the thought there, you know, well, it might not be a bad idea to have a referendum that for Clinton's to say, you know, do we agree that rates should not increase above the rates of inflation? Yeah. I mean, this I is the thing is that, is that the Local Body Act actually allows for referenda quite easily. 
And all it takes is a little bit of political uh, wherewithal, uh, a bit of bravery to say, well, okay, seeing as you're all moaning about this, uh, this issue might be rates, might be Maori wards, might be selling the airport, actually put questions to a referenda in Auckland City and say things like, okay, you can either have a 15% rate increase or you can sell the airport, choose. Yeah. Or we can have a 9% rates increase or we can sack a third of our staff, choose, and put it in the hands of the voters. I think all hell would break loose if you did that, but it would force the issue and, and would force the debate. But it seems that on many issues, there's these tokenistic acceptance that this is exactly what we should be doing. You take the argument over the cycle bridge and the nonsense that went on for decades about clipping on an extra lane to an already busted bridge and the amount of money that Auckland Council funded these lobbyists so that they could keep pushing it. And then eventually the Labour government came in and came up with this billion-dollar boondockle that was never going to get built. But it was all pushed by council funding of lobby groups. Mm. It was insane. Yeah, absolutely. And when you say all hell would break loose if you you did this, by whom is the question? I'd be surprised if it was by the public camp. No, it would be the usual rowdies and renter-mouths and renter-mob type people (laughs) who would say, oh, no, we can't have a decision on Maori wards voted on by everybody because it will be voted down. Well, well, that's called democracy. Make a better argument. Well, the Open Ratepose Alliance might like to pick it up. You know, this might be something for them to have a look at about, you know, why don't have a, have a ask Aucklanders, do they want rates capped at the rates of inflation? And if so, you know, what does that mean? I mean, that's what I think the mayor should do is call the bluff on some of these, mm. you know, uh, silly, frivolous councillors like Richard Hills and Chris Darby, who seem to vote against the wishes of the, the members of, uh, you know, their constituents in North Shore. I mean, a, a bunch of wetter wombles I've never met. And uh, these two idiots want to spend more money than you know even Croesus had. It's unbelievable the things that they push and and wring their hands over. Uh, and I'm sure that the constituents of North Shore, uh, for some reason, are aghast at this, but but also keep returning these fools back to council. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, the public just want to see. You know, the, the word I get is like, when, when I ring up the Auckland Council, why can't I get access to somebody? Why can't yeah. I know who it is I'm talking to? And why can't they be accountable to seeing my problem right through to the end um, and resolving my issue? I'd say 80% of the calls I get are calls of frustration because they've hit the red tape. They call me yeah. and say, what doors can you open for me, Greg, and help them? Probably 80% of the time I can, but not always. But you know, it's just that whole customer service, reliability, a person, you know, person ability, or who am I talking to? You can't actually identify anybody to talk to. And the frustration builds when you try and find information. It's not on websites or Mm. there seems an over-reliance on call centres and websites and those sorts of things. Um, You know, there was a time when you wanted a building permit, you knew who the building inspector was. Now it's sort of someone, that random guy with a, with a clipboard who may or may not turn up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, these are serious issues and, and you know, I, I don't envy you the job of trying to actually navigate through all of these. 
Well, you do. But look, one one another idea is, uh, and the mayor hasn't been the supportive of it. Is trying to do it himself or internally through those committees you talked about a little bit earlier. But having an independent performance auditor who comes in and will hold, will have they're not accountable to. They're funded by the council, but they only report to the ratepayers of Auckland, and they have a they would have an independent assessment of how Auckland Council is going, and they would report in the press what their findings were. That would hold not only uh, the bureaucrats to greater account, but also elected members to greater account. So they, uh, um, I'm very very keen to have an independent performance auditor type role put into place, but that, it doesn't look like it will happen this term. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it, is that it's the councillors that always get held to account when, in actual fact, it seems that it's the officers of the council that are the ones that are the roadblocks to any progress or any sensible you know, reforms that are happening, but they never seem to be held to account. And I'm not sure how you can do that and help hold them to account. Certainly, I don't think anybody ever gets sacked from the council. Maybe, mm. maybe if they had their hand in the till or up the wrong person's skirt, they might get sacked. But you know, for actually gross incompetence, you, 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 they don't seem to get sacked. Well, Penny Bright, the colourful character that she was, you know, and mm. was on the right track, I think, in terms of that transparency of Auckland's books. Yeah, and so smart people that are out there in the community can go through line by line and actually ask those type of questions. That'd be that kind of uh, transgress into that role of that um, independent performance auditor. But without that transparency, that how can it be held to account by ratepayers if they can't get into the books? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that's a key point. I mean Penny Bright and I had Donny Brooks in the past, uh, you know, but in many respects she was one of those brave people who had some principles and stood for them. Mm. And it might have been slightly wonky in her crusades and in those things, but mm. it takes all types to make the world go round. And, you know, I, I admire her bravery and her grit yeah. when she did those things, you know. And yeah, I still remember, you know, even John Banks going and visiting her when she That's was uh, on her last legs. And uh, that just shows the humility of John Banks and the caring of John Banks that many people don't see that I've seen up close. Yeah. But, you know, they were implacable enemies when it came to dealing with things in the council, yet the compassion shown when, when she was um, passing away was incredible. Well, look, her heart was in the right place about uh, wanting a voice for ratepayers. And I think, you know, I, I know what you're talking about there, Cam, but I think at the heart of it, you know, was opening the books so people yeah. could see, particularly around contracts. Yep. She's very hot on those, you know, things you have to see. I can't, I can't, have never been able to get my hands on, despite, you know, asking consistently, even the Official Information Act requests of copies of our contracts that we have with those preferred suppliers. And yeah. you know, you've, got this, you've got this ferry debacle at the moment with Gulf Harbour ferry service that seems to be running down, running down, running down, and uh, you know, uh, controlled by fullers. And, uh, we can't get a third party to have another cracker saying, look, well, we'll step in tomorrow and take it over because that, apparently that contract's written in such a way that that's, that option isn't there. So, uh, Well, I mean, I know what it was like battling Fuller's when we had the contract to clear, uh, you know, uh, boat ramps and loading ramps and stuff around Manukau City. And we had you know, interference in the contracts all the time with Fuller's who 
you know, because of their contracts and the contractual obligations of the council to those contracts could actually shut down access to boat ramps at any given time. Mm. People aren't aware of these sorts of things that are there that are essentially protecting a monopoly. Mm. Uh, and it's being protected by ratepayers' money. Well, I hope you have a chat to Ken Turner about this or he's able to come on your show too, Ken, because he's doing an outstanding job in terms of asking those questions. He's a great he's a, a breath of fresh air and around the council table, yep. uh, you know, asking those exactly those type of things. You know, um if I can just come back, <laughs> it might be the third time I've done it, but you know, the, the, the trust of Aucklanders and Auckland Council, Phil Goff promised it was running at about 17% from memory. He said, oh, no, we'll get this up, you know, we'll increase it. Well, I think it's sitting about 20% when, when he left, and it hasn't improved much under the current mayor because of all these things that we've discussed. It's a bit of a doom and gloom uh, uh, blog for you, but it's. Uh, I think your listeners should have a degree of hope and that the mayor is – uh, he doesn't get on with, with everybody and you can rub people up the wrong way. That's just because he'll call a spade a spade and some people might take that the wrong way. I've never had an issue with him. I, you know, he'll call the press strongos and he might call some councillors uh, idiots. You know, they, they might find that not very endearing or even alienating or arrogant, but at least you know where you stand. And we, there is somebody in there pushing hard to try and fix Auckland in the way that people elected him to do it. Uh, and you know that has I haven't seen that under the previous previous years of Auckland. No, I mean Lynn Brown was hopeless. He was more interested in goings on in the Nati Fatua room. Mm. And of course, Phil Goff was just a career bureaucrat who just oversaw a decline in Auckland City to the, such the extent where we're no longer a first world city, and we're approaching a situation where the streets. Uh, around the city uh, resemble the streets of Suva and Fiji, which I know all too well about. And, uh, you know, SUVs seem to be the car of choice these days, but it's kind of needed in Auckland well, to drive is, around the roads. Isn't that true? Isn't it so disappointing to go down uh, to downtown Auckland these days and just see the state of it? Um, you certainly, certainly don't want to be down there at night. Well, no, on, I mean... On your you own. Know, yeah. no, no, exactly. I mean... I'm just talking about the infrastructure, you know, that that is appalling. A classic case is a road here in, uh, you know, in Takapuna that you come off the motorway and you kind of zoom up there to Anzac Street, uh, you, you know, go along Barry's Point Road. The road surface is cratering. It's crocodiling. Uh, they're gonna. They've got the cones out ready to do the dig out to fix it, and it's about eight or nine hundred meters of the of the whole road. I envisage that's going to take weeks and weeks and weeks of massive roadworks to repair it. But all of the issues on that road are clearly, because of the type of, uh, you can see from the damage that's on the road, it's not from the trucks or the cars using it. It's from ingress of water under the surface of the road. That's what's caused it. And this is the thing that I find frustrating, knowing this stuff because of what I did in the past, that this was all preventable. You know, if you rapidly fix potholes, if you rapidly fix digouts, if you rapidly fix cracks in the surface of the road, then you can extend the life of the road 10, 15 years. And and if you fix them according to the transit specifications, which they're supposed to be doing, but they're clearly not because, you know, they're not crack sealing, they're not stopping the ingress of water. So they go and do a rudimentary repair on a pothole 
and that pothole is just going to reappear because they haven't stopped water getting in there in the first place. And so you've got this lack of maintenance that has lent now to, I would imagine, a multi-billion dollar deficit in our road surfaces and repairs that needs to be addressed, and we don't have the resources to do it. Cam, would you, I'd be interested in your take on it, but I, you know, I'll, I'll just speak directly about it, but it's, my experience has been that if you look at the uh, funding for public transport versus the funding for roads, I think there's at least a six-fold difference in those budgets. And I think that actually, you know, Auckland Transport gets half of its funding from Wakakotahi. Yeah. And Wakakotahi gets its direction about where that money should go from the Minister of Transport. And that uh, is, that's clearly been a directive to spend more money on public transport Road safety and cycleways, right? So you've got to rob Peter to pay Paul. So it's come out of the roading budget. So, uh, you know, I think just just to add some balance to to what you're saying there, I think if you spoke to those Auckland Transport roading engineers, they'd say, yeah, we know it needs to be done. We know we have those specs that you talked about. The the money just isn't there and sitting in their budgets to be able to do it because they've just shrunk, shrunk and shrunk. And that's the key area, isn't it? Because if you don't spend it on maintenance, eventually you will spend it. Absolutely. If, um, if you're not, if you're not the, can, can I? Sorry, mate. Just to just kind that's of, right. I don't mean to override you there, but you know, it's really, really important that any organisation, Auckland, Auckland Council in particular, which you know, and we control, we have the Treasury, mm. uh, which looks after Auckland Transport and Water Care's uh, debts. Now, if you're not funding for depreciation, so you can go in and do those jobs when they're required, then you're, you're slipping further and further. They call it sweating the assets, right? So you you just don't do the work and put it off for another year. That's what we're seeing. There's far too much. We've got to be at full 100% depreciation. The council's working to try and achieve that in the next few years. But uh, if you yeah, don't That's do a that, huge issue, depreciation. And I remember John Banks uh, in, the, in the days of Auckland City deferring depreciation essentially robbing the kitty that would be used uh, to fix things up later because that's what depreciation is all about. It's about it's about replacing the asset in the lifetime of the asset and putting money aside, but raiding that so they could spend money on other things, which meant that the sewage system wasn't um, upgraded. It meant uh, you know, roading wasn't upgraded, curbing wasn't done properly, all because those funds that were set aside you know, ostensibly to replace those assets uh, were robbed so that other projects could be funded. Yeah, but they're, they're anticipated costs. You can't really do what's the, the dog. You can't actually do that and uh, be a viable business in my mind. Uh, and by business, I mean responsible of ratepayers' money. Yeah. But look, look, in terms of, the, you know, so those are, as I mentioned, costs you can anticipate and you should be managing that. And there's, uh, you know, the governing body of Auckland council should be overseeing that but there have been a number of unexpected costs that we haven't talked about cam and they've hit us this year you know the school and the crl a billion bucks coming out of another billion bucks coming out you know and we we have to come up with half of that 500 million overnight goodness knows what that's going to blow out to wow exactly Mm. so you're one year down in your three years Give us a few bullet points about what you'd like to see happen in the next two years leading into the next election. Well, uh, 
it seems so fundamental in my mind. It's you know you've got to stop the wasteful, unnecessary spending. You've got to get council back to the core business. We talked about a little bit earlier. You've got to remove the red tape and the hurdles that we're talking about in terms of those extra costs and delays that Aucklanders are running into when they're trying to deal with Auckland Council. Is there anything else in particular that you want to focus on in the next two years? Well, for me, you know, as I said, I'm there to represent the people that put me in there. So I've got, I want to ensure that those gravel roads we talked about and the water tables that you referred to yep. are dramatically increased from the state that they are now. I want to see the the uh, people not building in flood areas and getting flooded, which is happening now. I want to see the rivers cleared of the debris and council responsibility there. Private landowners also have a responsibility and need to come to the party there. Um, we have a job of Auckland Council to educate them to do that. But I think as long as elected officials listen to the people and represent their people's wishes, because Aucklanders know what needs to be done and they voice it. It just needs to get done. Yeah. That's exactly right. It needs to get done. Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, Greg, I think, you know, I've used up more than enough of your time. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> You can go off and do some more constituency issues. Now, I, th I thank you uh, for coming on the crunch, and uh, we'll get you back on as the term progresses to mark progress. Great, Cam. Look, I really appreciate the opportunity, and I, I really uh, am grateful, I think, on behalf of many people that we've got this alternative media that we can go to and be able to have these conversations and people who want to listen can listen. Yeah, well, that's what we're here for. And we're here to provide the reality check for a lot of people as well. Yeah, good one. All right. It's been a pleasure, Cam. Thank you very much. No worries. Thanks, Greg. Honestly, I don't think there's enough time in the world to get through all that is wrong with Auckland Council. What is clear is that hardworking councillors like Greg Sayers and Ken Turner seem to be ankle-tapped by the council bureaucracy. Something needs to be done, but what that is, is anybody's guess. Don't forget to send comments on Greg's interview to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.